listening to the Go and Tell Gals podcast, and I'm your host, Jess Connolly. On each episode, I'll have a guest who will give us a peek into what it looks like for her to run on mission in her everyday life. Our prayer is that it leaves you encouraged and spurred on to go and tell the good news right where you're at. Friends, what a gift we have today. I am so thankful you are listening to this episode of the Go and Tell Gals podcast because we are talking to, you know, my favorite gal on earth ever, my mom. Uh. (laughs) So here's the thing. I want to do a quick, like, only daughter can give you the intro intro, but I know you guys want to hear just straight from her, so I'll make it as brief as possible. My mom, Deb Hopper, is a woman on mission, simply put. I have seen her running on mission really in every season of my life and in so many different seasons of her life. I've seen her minister in the workplace. I've seen her minister in our home. I've seen her minister in the church. I've seen her minister in other countries. I have seen her minister in so many different ways and really just take God at his word for what he's given her and what he's asked of her. And I see her do that on a daily basis. And so there's just no one that I would rather have you guys hear from as it pertains to running on mission. She's in a little bit of a different season now, and I'm really excited for her to share about what God's doing in that and what that looks like. And I know that a lot of you will relate to it, but welcome my favorite woman, my mom, Debbie Hopper. Wow. Thanks, Jess. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty hard to follow, but (laughs) I'll try to fill in the gaps of what you've um, most kindly left out. (laughs) Yes. Just tell us, tell us what, you know, I know everything about you, everything there is to know. I I wish, I really wish I did know everything there was to know, but (laughs) what do they need to know about you running on mission? What, what has it been like? What does that mean to you? Okay. Well, I will do a little recap because I'm 62 and there's been a lot of years packed in there of a lot of different seasons of running on mission. And for most of my adult life, I worked in the corporate world and then the nonprofit world as a business manager. And I just served in the church and, you know, in the community um, as a volunteer leader. But soon after I turned 50, the Lord allowed me to pursue a calling into full-time ministry that really he had put into my heart at the age of 16. And so for the past 10 years, I was the women's pastor and director of sisterhood at Seacoast Church here in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. And during that season, I I don't want to say it was easy to run on mission, but I was able to run on mission every day because the needs were so great. There were 4,000 women at that campus I was serving, and it was so plainly in front of me, whether it was counseling, coaching leaders, serving in local outreach, you know, making hospital visits or going literally to the ends of the earth, like Sri Lanka or Nicaragua or Togo. So it wasn't easy, but it was more plainly evident, like how to run on mission Yeah. when I was in full-time ministry. What is it like now? <laughs> now in this so, new season. <laughs> yes. So in May, I stepped down from that full-time ministry role because the Lord clearly told me to do it over a series of messages for about a year, really. And I think he knew that if I kept doing 60 hour work weeks, my family life and my personal life would continue to be out of balance. 
So I've been on sabbatical since the 1st of June, and that's quite a different season to run on mission when you're also trying to rest and take a sabbatical. But I would say the hardest part about this season is being obedient in the small things and not feeling guilty if I don't feel productive in ways that I'm used to. Mm. You know, I'm, I've had to kind of flip the script of what it feels like to serve and what it feels like to do mission. In this season, I found that the majority of my serving is to my family and neighbors and extended family. And while that's been satisfying, I've, I've really struggled with not feeling like I'm seeing kingdom and impact. Mm. I can just directly attest to there is so much kingdom impact. I mean, I didn't tell you we were going to talk about this, but let's let's take it like a little deep and real. Okay. okay. And and it's only deep, you know, it's only bad on me. It only makes me look bad because <laughs> you you I know you remember this. This thing I said to you a few years ago that I regretted massively, but if a few years ago, maybe 10 years ago, you were talking about ministry and mission. And I said, I was in a season personally where I was hearing a lot of teaching about, you know, motherhood should be your only mission. Right. Um, and I was really kind of buying this line that I would never do ministry outside of my home. Um, and, re- and really, I think in my heart, pretty fearful about that. Um, And I said to you, what if your only mission ever was to love us well, to love the girls (laughs) well, which number one, you had already done. You were already doing and (laughs) you were already doing so much outside of that. I mean, you had already in your life had already accomplished so much for the kingdom. But then a few years later, you told me I said that and I was I was devastated. I was like, oh, I can't believe I said that. That was just such a reflection on where I was at and fear that God would never use me. But it's interesting to me in this season because I still see you doing so much kingdom work outside of our family. But I mean, just inside our family, our family, just so you know, when we get together, we can't stop talking about the impact my mom has on us. We can't stop talking about it. My sister can't stop talking about it. My husband can't stop talking about it. My brother-in-law can't stop talking about it. My kids definitely think of my mom as one of their spiritual leaders and guiders. And so it's interesting. I just can attest to that. But maybe speak a little bit to what you find out about mission and what you find out about God when it's not so clear cut. Well, it definitely makes me more dependent on him. Like, every day. If I don't hear from him in a word, if I don't listen to him very clearly, you know, we can make up our own story, our own agenda for the day. But that's been the, I think he's just, he's a lot louder to me in the quiet. I mean, I I am being still a lot more. And so I have to ask him or I can make it up on my own. I don't have to ask him for his approval because there's, I'm not getting the approval of man. I'm not getting performance appraisals. I'm not getting any of the other kind of things that we look for in an orchestrated mission and a mission that has applause or feedback. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, I even got my Instagram account hacked this summer. So I lost the the 1500 followers I had that made me feel like they were listening, you know, so God really wanted me just to himself during the season to really be dependent on him and his word. So I've been learning a lot. Nick and I have been talking a lot about 
sovereign themes and paying attention to the themes that are big in your life. The Maybe the strengths that God has always given you or the things, the parts of your story that seem normal to you but don't seem normal to everyone else. And we also didn't plan to talk about this, but you hearing from God, I feel like is such a sovereign theme in your life. And I noticed that watching you hear from God and watching you assume that you would hear from God really impacted my faith, changed the way I walked with God. And it's one of the things that women ask me the most about. And to me, it seems so interesting because I'm like, oh, my mom just always heard from God. So I always assumed I would hear from God, which really set me up with just such a better view of him. But talk a little bit about that. Do you get questions? Do women say like, what do you mean when you say you hear from God? Yes, I I do sometimes. And I think there is a boldness that comes with saying, I hear from God Mm -hmm. that we each have to have. We have to to believe, yes, he does want to speak to me. He's the God of the universe, but he is my daddy and I'm his child. And just like our own earthly children, don't we long to talk to them and long to have them want to listen to us? So I, there is a boldness that I do like say every day, I know you want to speak to me. And I don't know whether it's going to be through a song or a podcast or a sermon or a word directly, you know, or something I might even hear on the radio that's not a, even a spiritual message, but it, it will confirm something that he's already given me in his word. And that's, you know, there's a lot of ways and a lot of messages on how to hear from God, but but basically you have to know that it's confirmed by the word of God, you know, and if it's confirmed by his word and you hear it in the song of a bird, then, you know, or the, the breeze of a sky, then it's still God. It doesn't have to be a burning bush, but it definitely will move you to tears. It definitely will stir your heart if you're listening and if you're like believing that, that he cares enough about you to want to speak to you that way. Okay, so we've got a lot of gals listening who will think like, absolutely, in Jesus' name, did that this morning. And we've got a lot of women who are like literally hearing crickets right now. They're like, what is she talking about? Right. So can you give us, a? it can be small, it can be big. I've got a silly one I'm going to share on, on my side. Can you give mm-hmm. us any kind of example of just a recent time that you heard from God and, and how you knew it was him and how it confirmed something? The easiest ones, of course, are in a sermon and and going to your church on a regular basis. When Nick spoke this week about a waiting season, I knew from the minute that he started speaking, I even had anticipation as we were driving to church on Sunday and said, I feel like this is going to be a day. This is going to be a word from God, not for me, but I just, I had a sense of something big. So I was waiting and I was expectant. But then the minute Nick started his sermon on waiting, I had tears in my eyes and emotion in my heart. And I was like, okay, God, what about this do you want me to hear? Some of this I could have written. Some of this I know. And I'm like living through a season of waiting. But as he like pulled out different parts of the message. I waited and asked and I, and I took notes and then I came back home and I read over the notes. And then I had a couple people ask from Instagram and I had to share the notes. So I had to process it. You know, yeah. it's not always like, Oh, go to Psalm 23, eight, you know, yeah. and you'll hear a word. You might be in the word and then you hear it in a message or you hear it from somebody else in a different way. And When he confirmed those things, I knew exactly what God was saying to me through that message. 
more everyday kind of stuff. I heard a podcast last week that touched my heart in a way that I was questioning God about things in our culture right now mm-hmm. and about the Me Too movement and some things, you know, politically. And I heard a podcast that just settled it in my heart. It settled the story of redemption for me. And it settled the questions that I knew I wanted to be able to to speak back to those that were hurting. Yeah. So um, God is sometimes kind of like oblique like that. It's not a direct word and a message about an answer, a question with a direct answer. But to me, it's like when we ask, and I was asking and searching about the, the culture that we live in and about the current day situations. And he led me right to a podcast that I would not have listened to, wow. you know, with a godly word about it. Wow. So that's so good. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. You know, I've had more direct ones with uh, the occasional dream, but I'm, the dreams are so rare that I don't even want to really speak about those because it's really once every 20 years I get a dream. <laughs> so uh, that's not how he usually speaks to me. Yeah. One thing you used to say when we were growing up is you would pray. And I heard, I've heard you pray this for someone else as recently as three or four days ago. But you would say, just pray that he'll write it on the sidewalk. Yes. And that changed my life growing up. And it changed the way I prayed growing up. I just thought that it would be normal that we could ask God to write it on the sidewalk. And really, I know what you meant by that was like, be crystal clear. But like, if you need to write it on the sidewalk, right. we'll read the sidewalk. You know? Right. If because there, I don't always remember my dreams. And I don't always yeah. remember a verse from the Bible. So yeah. God, you, you need to be really clear with this girl, you know? Yeah. yeah. So good. I mean, that Isaiah 30, 21 says he will tell you to go to the left or the right. He'll whisper in your ear to go to the left or the right. Yes. Um, And growing up with that kind of boldness to go into the throne room of grace, which Hebrews 4, 16 says that we should go in, go into the throne room Mm -hmm. of grace and grab the mercy that he has for us. That changed the way that I approach God. And I'm so thankful for it. I want to touch on two other just interesting things that you've mentioned that you go to our church now, which is literally, I don't know, just the best thing ever. I heard a while back, a few years ago, I I think you might know this mom, that Beth Moore's son-in-law planted a church. Yes. 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 A church plant and where they live in Texas. And I, I heard that at this small church plant that Beth Moore went to the church plant. And I would always wonder, what is it like to have Beth Moore be your mother-in-law and her go to your church? And I feel like I get a tiny glimpse of that on Sundays because my spiritual hero, the like giant of my faith that I've seen leads literally thousands of women and men goes to my tiny little church plant. (laughs) (laughs) It's not so tiny. It is just (laughs) the best. And I know I'm Nick and I, they've only, my mom and my stepdad Gibson have only been coming for a few weeks and. Nick and I really just are so grateful to have them here for this season for however long God has them there. But this week we walked back into our like pre-service meeting with our worship team and y'all weren't back there, but we just said to the worship team, we said like, we just want to tell you that seeing them here is literally mm-hmm. just the, the biggest gift of our whole year. Oh, so good. It's uh, such a gift to us. It really is. We are loving being there. 
that the random thing I want to touch on again, we didn't plan on talking about this either. Talk to me about taking notes in the sermon, because that's another thing that I watched you do my entire life. And I always just assumed this is what everyone does. But it's interesting. It's a it's a dying thing in culture to take notes in the sermon. Um, yeah. Tell me about like how you take notes, why you take notes. Do you take notes every single Sunday? Are there ways you do it differently? Where do you take notes? I would just love to hear well, I do take notes every Sunday and I use Evernote and my phone. I'm trying to go less paper on every area of my life. And so it's not that I'm trying to be so techy. It's just that it's easier for me to keep up with. I have a paper journal that I use at home. And over the years, those journals multiply. So I've just found I've got so many paper journals that now I I, I, I want to preserve. But since I can use something electronic, I'm going to use it. So I use Evernote and I title it with whoever's speaking that I'm listening to and the date. And then I just take as scrappy a note as I can, as quickly as I can. And then when I got back home this week, especially the message was so rich and something I wanted to process that I went back into my Evernote, you know, on my laptop and then just reformatted it. And it was so easy then to email it when I had a couple of women ask, what was that message about waiting? I was able to email them the the notes and prompt some email, you know, follow up with them. So that's what I use. I do it selfishly because I'm a visual learner. I can hear things, but unless I see them in print, it doesn't really go into my soul. You know, yeah. I can hear, hear things and my memory, you know, like everybody's is cluttered with a lot of other stuff. So I have to take notes. I have to write down things in my journal. Other people are, are very audio and may not need to take the notes, but I do. Yeah. I just love that. I, I tell women all the time, like when they're like, why, why do you take notes in sermon? And I say, well, number one, you know this about me. I have a horrible short-term memory. And so I, I literally cannot imagine. I can't imagine an hour later. My husband is the pastor and an hour later, I would not know what the sermon was on if, right. if I didn't have notes. Same. Um, but I also feel like it's just a posture of humility that says, mm-hmm. like, I can learn here. I can yeah. I am here to learn. It's so important for me to remind my heart, like, I'm not going to hear something I agree with already. I'm not going to, like, say, like, retweet. I already know that. I'm so glad my pastor knows it, too. I'm right. going to say, like, I can be shifted. Even if I've heard this passage of scripture a thousand times, I can be shifted. And that is so good for me. So I love that. Okay, tell us what's challenging about this season. Well, the being still part, you know, my my rhythms are a lot different than they were six months ago. And I want to be able to rest and do this well. But let's face it, I'm an Enneagram one. I'm a D on the disc and my strength finders, my top two are achiever and responsibility. So what do you think? I mean, none of, <laughs> none of that says be still. So also I'm a pioneer Did I mentioned that I'm not a settler. So yeah. it's very hard to settle in a land, even when it's a land of fruit and honey, it's hard for me to be still, but I am trying to find some rhythms, even in this new season of what is good for our family, what is good for my husband, who's still working full time and trying to maximize his weekend rest time and really have a soft landing place for him and for a big family that's all on ministry. So mm-hmm. that would be the, the toughest part is the being still part when I'm a very active doer. Yeah, that's so good. Here's what I've learned from watching you be still. 
really early on in your sabbatical, I noticed how much it was impacting you. I noticed how settled you seemed and how at peace you seemed. And it made me want to be more settled. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you remember, like even early in the summer, I remember sitting beside you at the pool and just thinking like, I want this. And you were so cautious and careful to not shame me with what God was doing in your life. Mm -hmm. I remember you saying out loud, I just want this for everyone, but you didn't shame me because you know, like there's to a degree, there's like a very real challenge with me and getting still, but in the, but in the same way you've given me such grace and tips, like I want to just say, like, even the other day about sleep, I was talking about like mentally, how I feel like I'm not really keeping up sometimes. And, and my sister who y'all know, Katie Walter, she was talking kind of about a similar thing, not being able to keep up. And you said, Hey, I just want to give y'all a lot of grace to say, you're not getting enough sleep right now. And when you get more sleep, this is going to be better. Yes. <laughs> you didn't say like, you really should sleep more and you should really take some more off your plate, which we should. But I just think right. it's been so beautiful for me to watch you learn and grow and, and, and for me to be compelled by the growth in your life rather than your shame. What's that like being so many steps ahead of women that you're leading? I mean, how has God taught you to do that so well? I just feel like you lead really well in that. Uh, I don't know. Cause it's the hardest thing about parenting and those of you know, that have toddlers or small children might think that these are the hardest years. But I, I really do think parenting adults is more challenging because you do feel like God's given you some tips or some clues along the way. And and in all the failures of my own, every every woman, every person's got to learn those challenges and those steps for themselves. They You can't shove it down their throat or preach it or teach it until they ask. And so somebody gave me that advice a long time ago and said, don't try to teach your daughters anything until they ask for it. Mm -hmm. And so I've tried to remember that it's really, really hard. You know, it's the hardest thing we do as, as parents of any age child is to know when to speak into their life and when to encourage. I would definitely say I've learned from the wrong way that encouragement is the best tool. Yeah. Speaking truth or any kind of action into your children's life is not going to be received if they're not ready to receive it. Yeah. Okay. Tell us about some small tips or tricks that are helping you run on mission in this season. You mentioned Evernote, just even for taking sermon notes. I always like to tell people you are so much more technologically savvy than I am. <laughs> My mom had a Twitter account way before I had any social media. You had an Apple Watch before I did. You had an iPhone before I did. And you've always taught me how to do the things. You're so good at that about like just knowing the small little life hacks that really save time and energy. But what's helping right now? Big things, small things, spiritual things, logistical things. Okay. I did mention rhythms because mm -hmm. I'm so rhythm oriented and schedule oriented. Like I found and, and I've learned this from a couple of women who are ahead of me in this season of life who said to me, design your rhythm. Even if it's a rhythm of Mondays is housework and catching up from the weekend and, and replenishing all the things, that's still a rhythm. And that was just an unknown to me because I'd always done that at 10 o'clock at night or grocery store run at nine o'clock, you know, yeah. after everything else was done. So I'm redeveloping some rhythms for my week and for our week as a family. And then in the goal setting, you know, I've always been a big goal setter. 
love when we do goals together quarterly, annually, but I've had to refresh my goals a lot more frequently in this season because they're not as big. They seem like small things. I made like a simple list on my iPhone back in May, sabbatical wish list, kind of bucket list. And it was about 30 or 40 items. And some of them were very small, like go and visit my 90-year-old aunt in the upstate. I mean, I say small, it took some time and effort for me to like do a trip there to, to visit her. But some of them are massively big, like start to have Sunday lunches for the family. And it, it took me a while to develop that and figure out what that looked like and, and see if it was the right thing for our family. But I've used that sabbatical checklist. I looked at it the other day. Of those 35 items, I'm down to like two. Wow. And the two that are left are, are pretty big. I mean, it's going to take me a little bit more prayer and, and action to pull it together. But just having a list that I could go back to that also says, this is what I felt in my heart months ago that I never had time to do. And I don't mean to say they're all like, again, lofty goals. One of them is to learn to play Moonlight Sonata on the piano. I love it. And, you know, and I'm, I'm miserably not on task with that. I haven't even mastered the first movement, but it's there in front of me. And it's something that I enjoy, but it's also a goal. Mm. It's something that I want to accomplish. I love that. Okay, we have fun Spitfire questions to finish the time off. We do okay. ask everybody what their Enneagram is, but you've already said you're a one. Yeah. You're a, do you have a wing? It's a wing of two, but okay. you probably know better if that's, if that's accurate yeah, for me. I'm not, as, I'm not as schooled on Enneagram as you are. Um, no, I, I, I definitely see a one, too. Nick, that, which is interesting, is Nick is a one, too. As well. He's wow. a one wing too. I just wow. I just married my mom because I liked her so much. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> Needed so that funny. same kind of guidance in my life. <laughs> yes. That's good. That's uh, why I like Nick so much. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, you guys keep me in line. Also interesting that ones and eights can either like blow up the world or change the world. And I I, I like to believe we're all in a change the world. Yes. Together. <laughs> let's, let's do it. <laughs> uh, what book are you currently reading? You're probably reading more than one. So share whichever ones you want to. Well, I read a lot of fiction just to kind of unwind. But I recently just finished Chasing Francis, which is one you recommended to me. And I'm still going through the study guide of that one. It's a historical novel, but it is so meaty. And so rich about St. Francis of Assisi that I'm kind of considering a both and. It, it counts on the fiction and nonfiction. Another novel I'm reading that is, again, just about this season of life that was recommended to me is called Two Steps Forward. And it's about a woman who ends up doing a pilgrimage in France and so, or Spain. She, could, she does this one in Spain, the other one's in France. It, so they're both about pilgrimages. So those are my two right now. You know, I use Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest devotion every single day. I have it on my Kindle and I try to like really dig into that before I check my phone, you know, for anything else. Mm. But those are, those are my biggies right now. I love that. Your coffee order. I know it. 
but they don't know it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, it's pretty standard. It's a grande pike place with sugar-free vanilla. Used to be sugar-free hazelnut and the Starbucks got rid of it. So I've had to adapt a little bit, but I have sugar-free hazelnut at home. I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. We are, we are big coffee orders for one another. I, I feel like yes. I owe you about 200 coffees. You, you no. buy you coffee a lot more than I buy you coffee, but no way in our family, if we're going to see each other, we're bringing everybody coffee. So it's That's just right. kind of the rule. Like if I'm coming to your house, I'm checking in, you need coffee. Yeah. Same. You always yep, say same. same. Okay. I'm really interested to hear this answer. Do you have a secret talent or is there a secret talent you wish you had? Yikes. You know, I would say piano, except I haven't mastered that Moonlight Sonata. So yeah. that is a secret passion I have. I wouldn't call it a talent because I'm very, I'm not comfortable without music or without practice, but it was something in my youth that I, I pursued a lot that and music and singing and in ensembles and groups, probably combining my love for photography with digital photography and you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot these days with scanning photos and trying to like get all of our photo memories digital. So that's a hobby. I don't know that it's a talent. Yeah. You, I feel like you have really helped our family with all those things. Now, Caroline is like a little bit musical, um, mm -hmm. but the rest of us are not, Katie and I have not a musical bone in our body. So I'm very thankful you have taught our kids about the piano. They get really excited about the piano at your house. They, they love that. They love going over there. And you really keep us on track with those pictures. It, it is so good. You're like the Luke of our family. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. like documenting. You, right. you keep us documenting. Tell the story. It's so good. We got to keep telling the stories. Okay, we end on the, the probably least important question, but, you know, the one that women want to know the most. What's your favorite lipstick? Oh, my go-to is a simple CoverGirl lip stain that works for me. It just works. You know, I'd like to, to say that I use something really fancy and mm -hmm. um, trendy and new, but, no. no, a girlfriend tipped me off to the CoverGirl lip stain years ago, and that's, that's my go-to. I love it. So good. Hey, I know what y'all are thinking because I'm thinking it too. This, this, I can promise you, will not be the last you hear from my mom on the Go and Tell Gals podcast. Mm -hmm. And not only is she going to join us on the podcast, but you're going to also be seeing her around the Go and Tell Gals website and in a few different ways. We're just holding our hands open and asking the Lord what that looks like, but really yes. excited about this next season of ministering to women together. I'm excited for what she has to share with us. I'm excited for what she's bringing to the table and to stand with her and behind her as she leads us. But thank oh. you so much for just taking thank the time you, to be for the first time. Thank you. It was yes. my joy. I told you Sunday, I think Katie was asking about promises fulfilled. And I said, you know, it says that a mother's greatest joy is when her children are walking with the Lord. And it's an even more huge thrill to watch you reach thousands and hundreds of thousands in the way that you share the gospel. Mm -hmm. So it is my joy. Well, love you, love you, love you. Love we you too. We will see you back here soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, gals. Mm -hmm.